I would rather help create an environment where we create a hundred businesses that have 10 employees mm. than one that has a thousand, because that's going to be more sustainable and you're going to see more growth uh, with that. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Peter Foreman. Peter is the CEO and president of the South Shore Chamber of Commerce. Hey, Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. Peter, you were so wonderful during COVID for the small businesses. Tell us a little bit about what you all did as a chamber to keep people engaged during that, that time that was so uncertain. Well, we, we did what chambers normally do, which is connect people and convene conversations uh, to help business leaders and professionals uh, walk through their own problems and in many ways solve their problems with each other. So what we uh, did is set up an awful lot of opportunities for uh, our members to talk to one another, hear from different uh, perspectives on uh, what people are seeing with COVID reaction, how to cope with it, how to think about getting through this crisis. And uh, like so many other groups, providing a platform for people to hear that they're not alone and that many um, professionals, families, whatever group you may have identified yourself with, uh, were going through similar things and talking it through, uh, I think was an important um, uh service that we were able to provide members. And we did it through an awful lot of obviously remote visual through Zoom, whatever it might be, conversations in small groups. The chamber is a regional chamber, I think is often identified incorrectly as being just the largest businesses uh, on the South Shore and just being large crowd events. And in fact, we are mostly small businesses and we like to conduct uh, a lot of conversations in smaller groups because that's how you get conversations. So tell us a little bit about the South Shore Chamber. Who is somebody that would want to be a part of it and what could they expect while being a member? I think any business that is looking to succeed and grow, I think you do have to approach it in a uh, uh, with a right frame of mind. I think too many people think of a Chamber of Commerce as being just networking for business development. And uh, I think that can set up uh, a lot of disappointment because the business development often comes from uh, not directly selling to other members of the organization, but getting referrals from other members. The success comes from learning more about the market, learning more about yourself, learning about your business. And that often comes from uh, not who you're selling to, but who might be able to help you uh, with your business, either with strategy or services or whatever. So anybody, I think, who's interested in their broader market, uh, not just in, we're not going to tell a business how to be, uh, how to run itself, uh, but anyone interested in what is their market, somebody who wants information about what is happening around me? What do I need to think about? What may be coming uh, in this area with the local economy that may affect me or affect my employees or affect my other business relationships? That kind of content is particularly valuable. Anybody looking to uh, learn from other business leaders uh, will find it valuable. I think anybody who thinks they've nailed the formula, they've got <laughs> nothing more to learn uh, and they're just fine where they are and that uh, all they have to do is stay in their office and run their business probably is not going to um, find a lot of value in the chamber or any other sort of professional network uh, relationship organization. So that's interesting. So it's, it's, 
somebody who wants to grow well so hopefully that's most businesses right and hopefully we're being somewhat um trite with the folks that have nailed it down right i mean no one's really figured that out but also the vision and the collaboration right it's the like-minded bringing people together and sharing experiences and ideas and with a regional chamber it's affect trying to affect the market with a local chamber it's often trying to improve your community and affect that with a regional chamber it's what is happening with the the ecosystem that creates a, a, a strong economy and what do we have to address uh and it helps a wanting to know what is going on around us and what does the economic future look like but also uh how might we be able to affect it and uh, that's where chambers can be useful if they engage in a mission of how do you improve the environment you're you're in. Uh, and, and chambers uh, will be led by uh, community business leaders. They may not be the largest businesses in the market. Uh, many of them may be some of the smallest, but they are committed to improving their community, however you define community, whether it's your neighborhood, a town, or a region, uh, but somebody looking to improve that, knowing that a stronger community is going to create a stronger business environment for almost every business. So specifically with the South Shore Chamber, how do how does it interact with the local chambers? Uh, it's interesting. In our view, we think we have a unique role, um, unlike most chambers, in that we really are not just grown out of the largest community and taking members from surrounding towns. Uh, but we uh, look at the entire South Shore region and think through, uh, try to think through what are some of the challenges and opportunities we have to have uh, stronger economic growth and economic opportunity, create more jobs for residents, knowing that that creates a cycle of stronger community, stronger local services, and a better place to live and do business. Uh, so we really are regional um, looking out several years, um, and we are a little bit more a B2B member flavor, business to business uh, membership than perhaps maybe a local chamber or a Main Street uh, business group might be more a retail uh, operation, business to consumer business. Uh, they might have a slightly different focus. Um, uh, but uh, uh, anyone looking at that uh, market is uh, any business we're trying to help and serve, but anyone looking at that larger market, uh, I think, finds our work a little different than most chambers. We work with the locals uh, in a pretty collaborative way, or we try to. In fact, we have a very unusual operation here where we have a formal affiliation with uh, six or seven groups, um, six of them being local chambers, some of which we created. Uh, and what we do is provide the backroom support. Uh, we have a pretty powerful website. We've got powerful database software. We've got people full-time working on that. We've got uh, uh, great record keeping and a professional uh, CFO managing our books. So what we've offered to a half dozen local chambers is an affiliation where we provide the backroom support and uh, let free them up to focus on their local mission and volunteer work. And we did that because uh, we recognized that every membership organization, virtually every membership organization nationally is facing pressure. Uh, partly because of the demographic downshift, fewer people uh, around uh, with chambers, uh, the change in business models and uh, uh, so many national businesses coming in uh, that uh, we realized business groups are facing unique challenges. And it's to our benefit to have strong local chambers or a local opportunity for uh, businesses that might not be interested in a regional mission, more interested in a community mission. Uh, we want to make sure they had a home. And a lot of local chambers get tripped up because 
they're driven perhaps by volunteers who move on and nobody has the records or the paperwork goes with the volunteer or there's one employee and if the employee happens to leave, they've got nobody to, to back up the volunteer board to, to keep moving forward with the records. So uh, uh, we work very closely with uh, some local chambers uh, that way. So it's a true collaboration. You help them sustain and be viable and their boots on the ground really kind of delivering the intel that you yep. need as an organization for the regional. Yeah, and it would, it would be hard for us to get into any one town and say, okay, we're going to host these events just for the right. town. We're going to focus just on that community or to have a community event and then duplicate it 25 times over. So we said it's better, you know, we're all under stress. It's better for us to lift a little bit of that stress off locals with some of the um, support systems and people we have here just be the back room and let them be on the, the ground in their community. We never tell them what to do. We never tell them what positions to take, um, you know, and try to support them where we can. But, uh, you know, economic community development is all about leadership. So it's helping their local leaders set their own tone and direction. Right. So as a region, you know, you're more of a I've seen you as more of a visionary, right? You're, you have the the masterminds, the mind shares of the local leaders. What is the vision going forward? You have a 2030 plan. Help us understand what that is. And, and yeah, so we did a deep dive uh, soon after I came in. Uh, the the uh, extension of Greenbush was uh, uh, nearly complete. That had been a major uh, chamber initiative for 10, 20 years. Uh, and we started asking now that Greenbush is here, uh, what does that mean for the region and what's the chamber's next step? So we did a deep dive, uh, went to a economic consulting group um, outside of the area to take a look at us as a region, tell us what our strengths were and where we needed to focus some long-term effort uh, you know, we could define some things that we were a suburban regional area, uh, different type of economy, very close to a major city that was growing, essentially a buddy in a major city. Uh, but we were a suburban area. We, we have a strong transportation network. Uh, what are our challenges and, and how do we get there? They came back and uh, said, you know, you're not as special as you think. <laughs> um, that you've got some real problems. You're not sitting as pretty as you think. Interesting. Uh, some of that was that the uh, the bulk of our jobs in the area are rooted in essentially residential service economy. Got it. Um, you know, retail, personal services, all of that. They're nice, but all that does is circulate the same dollars in the area. And when you do that, uh, you know, pay is going to be a little less. The career opportunity is going to be a little fewer. So you have to think through, how do you get more uh, exporting businesses? Businesses that are bringing money from people outside the area into our area and infuse new wealth to get circulated. Um, and uh, and that, that became a a challenge because this group came in and said, your largest employers, some of your largest employers are in shrinking industries. They're all contracting, which means you're going to be losing jobs. Those are retail and financial services. Um, you're going to have a challenge creating new career opportunities and new jobs. And the importance for that, for anybody who's lived on the South Shore, you know that the importance for that is the trade-off between um, higher paying jobs that might require a very long, physically draining commute in and out of Boston, right. uh, or being closer to home for lifestyle, but having fewer job opportunities um, that, that pay as much. To infuse that wealth, create new jobs, uh, one of the big issues that was identified was that we are an aging population. 
we were aging faster than the rest of metropolitan Boston. Interesting. Uh, which means our economy um, could look to, to use this as a very rough uh, equation. We could look a little bit more like Cape Cod, which was an older area um, with you know, lots of second homes, uh, seasonal economy in many ways. Or do you want to look a little bit more like Boston? Nobody wants to look just like Boston, but do you want your economy to be more vibrant with more diversity year-round economy? So that kind of choice uh, is where we're aging because we weren't going to have the workforce to help drive a lot of businesses. So one of our first initiatives was uh, housing, that we are not going to be able to change our demographic other than dying off. We're not going to be able to change the demographic uh, trend we were on uh, unless we get younger people into the area. And we weren't going to do that without changing the housing stock, that the large acre single family detached home, uh, which is the dominant housing style allowed by zoning in the suburbs. If we don't diversify that, we're not going to get that younger workforce, which means we're not going to be able to support and grow businesses and opportunities and ultimately services for our, for ourselves. So it brings up an a, enormously huge conversation about housing and about zoning. What, what are the next steps? What is, how does the future play out with, you know, you have the mass transit, you have the amenities, you don't have the industry but you also have unaffordable housing. So what? where do we go from here? Yeah, you can go to almost any state and find areas that have that problem. Yeah. Um, and it is a challenge. So where you go is with leadership and a change of attitude. Uh, when people think about housing, they think only about price points and they only think about shelter. We approached housing a different way. Uh, we didn't really approach it as shelter. We approached housing as a primary strategy for economic growth and uh, said that this isn't just about housing. It's about the housing options because not everybody wants two acre single family detached home, right. which also happens to be some of the most expensive housing. Right. People wanted smaller housing. Um there are a lot of people who want smaller housing. They want multifamily, want condos, apartments, want to be closer to uh, transit to get to jobs in Boston, uh, may want to be closer to amenities and sort of Main Street downtown. And then there's still plenty who want to be out in the old horse farms or in the woods. And that's fine. But we have plenty of those options. And mm -hmm. uh, what we've told people for years as we've gone to public meetings and town officials is if we want to grow and succeed as a region and keep what is special about the South Shore, you, you retain what's special, not by freezing time, but infusing new energy and investment into, uh, into a community. And what is important for us to do is Build housing that responds to market demand, not housing that just builds to old zoning ideas that are designed around preventing people from moving into a town. So how do you how do you change the old guard, for lack of a better term? So you have zoning uh, volunteers, fellow residents, but you also have townspeople who don't want change, right? You, you you offer a different message than the uh, the dominant uh, consensus and message that that may be uh, taking hold in a community, and you speak up for product projects and you help validate uh, the leadership of local officials who understand this and want to see uh, more housing. Uh, and you just provide a balance to, um, you know, the, the, the constituency that is always there willing to say, 
I want nothing new. I want no new people in my community. You bring in new people, you know, my old friends disappear uh, or my neighborhood might look different or change. Uh, I, I want I want the old businesses that used to be here when I was growing up um, and I want nothing to change. And that does take hold in the community and it, it sort of takes off as wildfire of, uh, gee, our problems as a town is because new people moved in and every new house cost us more in local taxes, which is a myth. Right. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, in fact, many areas, housing actually is a net plus to town taxes against town services. But you make those arguments. And, and what happens um, in, in politics often is there's one dominant perspective that takes hold. Everyone else is afraid to counter that right. and show a different argument. And that's where a chamber and business leadership, I think, can be very important to have have another voice saying, let's think this through. This is no longer, this no longer um, is accurate or as relevant as it might've been 30 years ago. The economy times have changed. Offer that counterpoint. That allows room for other people who recognize and support that point of view to come forward and say, yeah, that's right. Let's go forward and do something. It's so hard to be that lone voice when the status quo is continuing to pound down that same message. It's nice to have a group behind. So how does a developer or um, a builder get your attention, really, to help get the gain the support? Uh, they'll come to us, and we'll, we'll have many developers come, um, and, and we don't approve or veto any proposal, right. of course. Uh, but what we choose to get behind and uh, go out and, and talk at planning boards or town meetings or city councils depends on the project. Uh, if somebody came to us and said, hey, uh, we've got a proposal for, uh, you know, 75 new two acre lots of single family detached housing on this old uh, horse farm we probably aren't going to invest time in that because we've got plenty of those houses. Right. When somebody comes and says, I want to invest in multifamily in a downtown on a main street, we get excited because we know that's what's going to put new, new bodies on main street and people to get around and support the coffee shops, the restaurants, the service industries that are hurting a little bit. Uh, so we know the key to preserving the downtowns that everybody wants to maintain their old Main Street. You can't do that unless you have bodies because Main Streets aren't destination points for people to drive 30 minutes uh, to go to the Main Street. They'll, they'll drive 20 to go to a mall. Uh, so if you want to support your Main Street, you've got to encourage new residents who are active, younger, spending money um, to get there. And that's often mixed use housing, uh, it's apartments. Um, you want to see a lot of building. We wanna see a lot of building around transit because we know one of our competitive advantages on housing was if we can beat the Boston housing market, we have a chance to draw out younger professionals from Boston to move down here if they're close to mass transit. Uh, and then they're here, you hope they stay and then go buy the home a few years later. And this is one of the things that I think confounded a lot of people as we went out, as we continue to go out and promote this housing, is they, they assume it's about um, affordability and low income housing. And as you know, Mark, new construction there's nothing affordable no. about it it's not cheap it may be less expensive than a 10-room house but it's not inexpensive a uh you know a new three-bedroom condominium in some places is far more expensive than the seven-room single family detached home across the street that may have been built 40 years ago. 
Uh, and people would scratch their head and say, how are you going to get anybody here if apartments are running $2,500 a month? You know, that that's more than my mortgage for the house across the street. And we don't have to beat the price point of existing housing in the community. We just have to beat the price points of Boston housing in order to attract young professionals and workers down this way. And provide those amenities, right? And provide that so that maybe they only need one car, right? So maybe that Correct. is another bonus for them. But I, I, you talk about mixed use and, you know, you and I have talked a lot about mixed use. Where do you see that? And where are the, where are the obstacles? Where, where is the, the threats and, and the, um, and the solutions truly? Uh, I think in being creative as to what mixed use is, some people think of mixed use as just being retail, you know, the bakery on the ground floor and the apartments up above. Well, mixed use is often, uh, gee, are you going to be mixed in with office buildings? Um, uh, are you going to be near mass transit? Um, are you going to be near uh, entertainment areas? So mixed use uh, just means having something other than um, apartment buildings or the old the old zoning model used to be section off your town, have industrial in one corner, have residential in another, you know, have commercial in the middle, have open space out on the other end, and, and let's box it up. Uh, now it's more integrated. It's like people want a little bit of everything. They want, you know, these complete neighborhoods that have trails and open space and parks. Oh, and by the way, near shopping and maybe near entertainment, and maybe not too far from a bus stop or a train station. Uh, and while you're at it, maybe not too far from an old office park. Uh, because even if they're not walking to that, it's only a five minute drive and that's pretty nice. Um, so mixed use means thinking about how people want to live and what they want around them. And the key to it is driving home to people that Everybody may want something a little bit different. So it isn't a single formula. Right. So be creative, create a toss salad, create, merge these ideas and concepts together and, and attract the people because we're not our grandparents, right? We are moving forward and we're thinking differently than we did then. That's right. And regionally for us, the goal isn't to get every town doing the same thing or looking alike. As you know, if you take an example of a restaurant district, the the power of a restaurant district isn't that they're all Italian restaurants. And if you like Italian, you come there or it's all seafood restaurants. It's that it's a mix of a lot of restaurants and people can come down and say, you know, I'm going to head that way and I'm going to walk around. If one restaurant's busy, you know, I know there's another good restaurant. 20 steps away uh, or gee, one area has some great seafood restaurants. Another has this or that. And that's what you want on the social with our communities. You want every town to have sort of a unique flavor, but let everyone know that the, the richness of that is that the surrounding towns are going to have a different but equally satisfying flavor of community and what they offer and what they're like. And um, that starts to brand a region, a little bit like Cape Cod. I mean, I, you rarely hear people, um, unless they live here, talk about, uh, you know, going to one town or another on the Cape. It's, I want to go to Cape Cod because no matter where I go, if I don't know the area well, I know there are going to be really cute village centers and some nice art stores and nice restaurants. And they're all going to look a little and feel a little different, but I can go spend the day down there uh, or go spend a summer and know that. And you'd love to have people think of the South Shore like that, that it's sort of a, a region with really well-run towns, uh, great services, um, great personality to each one. So so our goal is how do you preserve that unique personality? A great place. And I, I may want to think about setting up business there and just being in the area or living there 
just being in the area, knowing that the community might be great, but the surrounding communities are are equally great. That's really interesting. How about the businesses, though? How, well, a how do we attract bigger businesses to bring in that that new money that you were talking about? Is it a chicken or the egg? Do we need to have the people first to to attract the businesses and and has COVID affected that in any way? Uh, I think COVID has really affected business recruitment and relocation because everyone's trying to think through their real estate. I think with business attraction, uh, I'm a little less interested in landing the big whales. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people, when they think of economic development, try to think of how do they get some big national company to, to move from Tennessee to Massachusetts? How do you get uh, a company with a thousand jobs. Um, that's nice, but those are whales. Right. And um, the problem with whales is you only, you generally might get one. And if that whale dies or goes away, you're stranded. Uh, I would rather help create an environment where we create a hundred businesses that have 10 employees than one that has a thousand because that's going to be more sustainable and you're going to see more growth uh, with that. You're also more likely to get local engagement into the community. Um, you know, and I'm a business supporter, but I do have uh, some issues with big national companies that they may be providing jobs in an area, but oftentimes they're not at all committed right. to, to the area. Uh, and that's a problem um, for everybody. So when we talk about recruiting businesses, it's more local of how do we get a business that may be thinking about leaving Boston or opening satellites in the suburbs? How do we get them to look our way? Not how do we go to Tennessee or Texas and try to compete with a big company, um, but how do we do that? How do we help the entrepreneur who's given up on the big national publicly traded companies or the long commute and wants to hang their own shingle and, and start their own adventure? How do we help that entrepreneur start and grow here? And well, that's a lot of Chances are it's, it's the entrepreneur who actually lives down here and says, why am I going to Boston? Let's do it in the backyard right here in beautiful South Shore. And that's that's where I was starting to get at with COVID. You know, we talked a lot about people living where they want to live as opposed to living where they have to live. So somebody who thought they needed to live in Boston or very close to Boston because they didn't want to commute now can telecommute or can be remote. So they've moved to areas like the South Shore or Cape Cod because of the water and the beauty of of it all. How do you attract those businesses to say, Boston isn't necessary. We have all of what you need right here. Come, the water's warm. Yep. You, you try to attract the people, uh, first of all, and then you try to attract the, uh, the businesses, not so much by uh, leafleting them and uh, running ads their way, but trying to get the South Shore a little more uh, front of mind for businesses that are thinking about uh, relocating or expanding in, uh, in different directions. And then uh, with some, it, it has to be, you know, what what is the future for growth? Will you have the workforce? So for us, you know, economic development is a chicken in, in, in a proposition. Is it the business first and then attract the people? Or is it the people first and attract the business? We think it's people first. Interesting. Uh, people and location are the most important ingredients, we think, to then growing and attracting the businesses. Um, and that takes a little time and a little faith. Um, a lot of people will say, go, go recruit the big thousand person factory first, and then we'll talk about housing. Well, that's not the way business works. And it may never happen, right? It's the, and they, you're probably giving away the house by attracting that that group yes. anyway. So it probably doesn't make sense. And they're not going to be the ones on the back of 
Johnny's little league shirt or Susie's, you know, know, we, we, we grew up at a time when um, we, we knew as younger people and as kids, you could walk down if you were doing the little league advertisements or whatever, you could walk down main street and you knew who the most influential business leaders were. They were the ones in the bigger buildings made sense. The bigger the building, the more successful the business, the more influential the business leader is. That was true even in Boston. Nowadays, it's almost the opposite. Mm -hmm. If you walk down Boston, uh, the bigger the building, the less likely the owner or business uh, leaders live in the area. Uh, it's a better chance that maybe they're owned by um, a national or international company headquartered somewhere else, and they don't, they're not engaged in the community. Um, and the person who cares the most about the community may not be working in the, in the big six-story building on Main Street. They may be working out of their garage. Right. And they're passionate about their community, but don't have those big resources of a big company. And the big company doesn't have the passion. So that's a challenge for every chamber of commerce or business organization now. Of how do you connect those ends of uh, local leaders who have the passion and care about their community with the larger businesses that have the resources? That's interesting. And, and, you know, it brings up a thought of what we've also talked about quite a bit is, you know, so back to housing for a second and the affordability, right? So there's the stigma, affordable housing, and people start to get nervous and, and, and get uncomfortable because they think we're talking about uh, subsidized or, you know, whatever other snob uh, zoning uh, situation that people might, might get uncomfortable with, but the actual, definition of affordable the affordability of actually moving back to your town right so somebody grows up in a south shore town they go away whether it's to the military or to school or to work and they come back and they want to raise their family and they simply can't afford it what is the chamber what what is the chamber doing to kind of put out the um, accessory dwelling unit idea for people is that something that you're getting behind for that multi-generational, the boomerang kid that I'm talking about that comes back or buys the family house and has the mother, mother-in-law living in a, in a dwelling unit, all on the same, you know, sandwich generation kind of raising kids, but taking care of, taking care of their parents. It seems as though it's challenging on the South shore to do that again with the snob zoning thinking we don't want a bunch of two families. We don't want a bunch of multifamilies in our one and two acre zoned, um, you know, uh, districts in our town. Yeah. We haven't uh, taken that one on yet. Uh, We, we fully understand the argument of uh, there can be a lot of good here of building the in-law apartment for the in-law. The question is, what happens when the in-law isn't there? Does that then become two-family property and then um, a uh, uh, absentee landlord two-family? And that does begin to change neighborhoods. So, uh, yeah, we want to infuse new products in the area. We want to have new housing options. Um, but you also have to be... Uh, sensitive to the fact of you're you're looking to perpetuate the strength of neighborhoods and communities, uh, not upend them. So um, knowing that you you can create exceptions and then people will try to drive, you know, an 18 wheeler through that small exemption and right. then upend everything. Um, we have not taken that on. We also haven't seen enough movement on that to think it's going to dramatically change the housing equation um, in the area the way we might be able to 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 help infuse new investment into a main street or a downtown 
um, or get uh, you know, enough mass of multifamily to start making a difference in the workforce. Hmm. Yeah, so we've been super bullish on the ancillary dwelling and the and the in-law concept. It would be nice to find some uniform code that uh, that towns could adopt that everybody could, you know, looking at the looking at it through the Pollyanna view. But yeah, and the other thing, and I know from some of our other conversations, uh, the other frontier that we haven't really taken on is. Um, is housing product or housing material mm. and the construction of, of housing. We are uh, a fairly traditional, you know, stick um, built uh, house housing market here. And, uh, you know, it's expensive. And I think nationally to address, I think to address the housing labor crisis that we've got it in the country, you've got to look at local zoning. You also have to start thinking about uh, housing product and not right. style, but the construction um, of housing. And there are uh, just know there are going to be a lot of savings coming up uh, with new technology, new production techniques, uh, because that's happening in almost every industry. Why wouldn't it happen in housing? It's funny. So I have a client friend who's doing the uh, container housing. He's yep. taking the storage containers yep. and utilizing it. And there's some new rules and code coming in on that. But that would kind of solve the temporary nature of the in-law. So if these things are movable, right, transferable, oh. then you could actually say, nope, they have to be related. Well, yes. if they're not related or if you're not, you have to you have to now remove it and move it to another location. And that brings in the whole conversation of minimalism, right? So the, the quote, tiny house rev revolution, you know, that next yep. generation who's coming up saying, I don't really need all this stuff. And the retirees who are saying, I'm purging and getting rid of all this stuff and I can exist in a much smaller environment as long as I have amazing outdoor space or I have a, a community to to be a part of. So I think there's a lot of really positive things coming down the line. And I love having groups like yourself that are supporting visions as opposed to status quo. So we're, we're grateful to have you in our community. Status, status quo is a, a, a real formula for decline because yeah. the, the world isn't standing still. So you've no. got to, you've got to change. That's one of the exciting things I see at the chamber Um Every business is rethinking its business model and its operation in one way or another. A lot of excitement with that. A lot of innovation, experimentation, people reincarnating themselves with new careers or, or new ventures. So I, I'm pretty excited about the next few years and uh, what's going to happen on the South Shore. I am too. And I'm glad to, I'm glad to have you in our in our region, helping us all out. Let me ask you a question, Peter. So somebody joins the the chamber, they've been a member for a while, and they've had some successes with with business generation, but also with, you know, business expansion and, and um, forward thinking and collaboration and all that. And they sit down, and they want to write out a review, and they want to tell somebody what about the South Shore Chamber that has been their experience, what are they going to say? If it's really positive, what I get excited about is uh, people who say, I didn't know the chamber was doing that. Yes. Uh, or, um, gee, I um, I really gained a lot by reaching into peer connections to tell me more about my business and help my business grow as opposed to the old perception of I sold something to another member. It's sort of, I got something from another member um, that helped make me a better business leader um, and uh, a more successful business. And because my background's in politics and public policy, the one I really love is uh, people who say the chamber gave me the invitation and a platform 
to go beyond myself and be more engaged in the community as a community leader. Uh, and that's really exciting. So the personal growth, of course, you're all driven by numbers and the economy and salaries and all that. Uh, but when people come back and say they personally grew and became richer as an individual because of the connections they made, the, the, um, the personal relationships, the information they, they learned uh, about the region or their business um, that made them more successful as a business and richer as an individual. Uh, that's really exciting. That is exciting. I love I love that with uh, what you're talking about, building leaders, right? So if you're able to help facilitate more leadership, more community involvement, that's uh, what a what a nice purpose and mission that you have there. So Peter, uh, I know that you have no problem uh, expanding your comfort zone. You've been doing it for a long time. You have uh, that that coffee that you did during COVID was so great. That Zoom COVID where you brought all of the leaders together and shared experiences and what's next and what are we thinking and all that. That was so great. But what I'd like to do is bring all of our guests from this podcast together at some point as a as a networking event, right? Because it has created a network in it. Um, organically where people are both guests and they are working well to, with one another because of that shared experience. But if I bring them all together, when I bring them all together, I want to have karaoke as part of the, of the theme, right? So breaking the ice, making that comfort zone expanded a little bit further. Peter, you're up next. What are you singing? I, I think that would be a really exciting networking event. Unfortunately, I'm busy that night. <laughs> so I cannot that might carry, happen for some of our some of our guests, I'm guessing. I can't carry a tune. So uh and I think karaoke that's what makes karaoke so wonderful though. If you're it, a really it, good singer, then karaoke's no fun. Yeah, I think karaoke is uh, one of the more interesting social uh, uh, quirks <laughs> yes. that man has created. Yes. Uh, if, if I had to do it, I, I would. Uh, uh, and you do have to gun against head have to. A gun against head have to get up and make a fool out of yourself yes. because you can't sing. I would have to. Uh, Play it safe and go to a Johnny Cash yeah. song, since most of that is spoken, not sung. Which one? Ah, uh, boy, my favorite Johnny Cash would be "Man in Black." I, I nice. think, I think that is such a dignified, almost spiritual protest song. Yeah, uh, and coming out of that period where so much of, of protest music was uh you know about attacking systems taking systems down um trying to get other people to do things that man in black is you know how can i help bring out the best of us to change the world and help people who are less fortunate um i, I just think that that could if there were a tune to it it could be a hymn <laughs> i bet you um I bet you would sing that very well too. I could tell by your but voice. But speak it. That's why I would do a Johnny Cash. You yeah. can speak it, not have to sing it. Yeah, yeah. He's he was wonderful. He absolutely was fantastic. I just saw something recently on him. They were talking about him. Oh, it was a sixty minutes episode. Was talking about the producer Rick Rubin, and he had brought Johnny Cash's career back from the depths back yeah. in the nineties, and that was great. What a great movie they did on him too. Yeah. Peter, most important question of them all. Somebody wants to get involved with the chamber. How do they get in touch? It's easy. Uh, you know, you just call us, uh, get on the website, contact us, uh, find a friend uh, who wants you to succeed, who's involved with the chamber and have them bring you to something. But we're easy to find uh, on the website, uh, selfshortchamber.org. Uh, give us a call, send me an email. Uh, it's really easy. And if not us, get involved in your local chamber. And folks, 
I typically don't endorse the guests uh, publicly, but I have been a member. I continue to be a member and I find tremendous value in being a member of this chamber and the local chambers. So if you have any questions, reach out to me as well. And I would, uh, I would uh, steer you in the right direction. Peter has an amazing team. They do amazing things and they are here for you all, the business owners and the residents, right? I mean, the vision is here for all of us. Thanks for the plug, Mark. We're going to put you out there to give testimonials for us. I'm in. I'm totally in. Peter, thank you so very much for sharing your time, your wisdom, and more, most importantly, your service to this community. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity, Mark. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your support of uh, Chambers, ours and local Chambers. Folks, this has been another episode of Elements of Styles. If you learned something, if you are inquisitive, if you're curious, if you want to share this with somebody, do it. Hit the share button, send it to somebody who you're thinking about who might want to get involved in the chamber and have them connect with Peter. And if it's you, connect. It's worth it. Folks, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.